Two Kids and a Career is a production of Jill Divine Media. All right. So my last question, let's just say people do feel educated. They've voted their whole lives. They're unlike me. And they're just like hands in the air. What do I do? How do I make this decision? Any advice you give to them? I would say to, if you are a religious person, to pray about it and kind of give it up to God at this point, because we have taken in so much information. (laughs) Let him move your heart. If you are not a religious person, I would just ask yourself, what is the most important thing to me? What's, What's the biggest issue? Or maybe what's the biggest two issues that I worry about? And then do your research on that and try to line up there. Whether it's, you know, my biggest thing is, The economy, you could look at that. Or my biggest thing is making sure that all marginalized groups in this country feel as though they're equal and are given a equal chance. Look at the candidate who is going to be the best person for that. Two Kids in a Career is brought to you by Blondin Real Estate. They're a family-owned boutique-style brokerage with over 40 years of experience serving the counties that surround St. Louis. See the properties they have to offer at BlondinRealEstate.com. That's BlondinRealEstate.com. Hi there, and welcome to Two Kids in a Career. I'm Jill Devine. As an entrepreneur, wife, and mama, the daily grind of trying to build a business while taking care of kids and trying to maintain a healthy connection with my hubby, it's a lot. With this podcast, Podcast, you're going to hear candid conversations with other moms, parenting experts who can share their knowledge and insight, or you'll just hear me rambling to get it all out. There's going to be tears, there's going to be laughter, but most importantly, there will be support. Take a listen and connect with me so we can grow and learn from one another. This is Two Kids and a Career. Something that I have said in numerous episodes, I am not a political girl and I'm breaking all those rules right now because I'm going to talk about politics, but let me explain how we're going to talk about politics. I can honestly admit that I am not as educated as I would like to be when it comes to politics and when it comes to voting. Um, I am learning more because of my girls, to be completely honest. I worry about their future. I want to make sure that I can do whatever I can to make it a good place for them to live in the country, in the state they live in, and also to instill some values in them and show them that they have choices as well. So I decided that the best thing to do before this election was to get someone that could provide a bipartisan view. And that's my guest this week. She's no stranger to two kids in a career. She did not talk politics before, but on season one, episode seven, Rachel Zimmerman joined me and she is the executive producer of the Dave Glover show. Welcome back for the second time. Thank you, Jill. Thanks for having me. So this is what I did. I actually text Rachel because the Dave Glover show, they talk politics, but not every segment. And they have a pretty diverse representation among the crew as far as the views. So I text Rachel to see if any of their past guests was bipartisan that would be able to present facts with no leaning to one side. And Rachel said, I can do it. And I immediately knew that you could do it because I'm comfortable with you. I know that you have spent a lot of time 
learning about both sides and you'd be able to put it in a perspective that I would understand. So (laughs) (laughs) I'm very happy that you are joining me to talk about this. And that's truly what this episode is about. If you are thinking that I am going to be giving you advice on just the Republican side or advice on just the Democratic side, not at all. I am asking Rachel questions that I need answers to for myself and hopefully for you if you are confused and don't know what to do for this upcoming election. When it comes to the policies, the important issues, I don't know if this is correct in saying, but in the past, would you say the presidential election, and again, I'm not talking about this presidential election, but in the past, would you say that some of the big issues are health care, taxes, and what else? Um, immigration has always been big in my lifetime. Uh, and then social issues like um, a woman's right to choose or gay rights, things like that have always seemed huge every year during elections. Okay. So this presidential election, though, we have some added layers. We have COVID. We have uh, racism. You did talk about immigration. So that has also heightened. Um, But I want to start with health care. Well, I guess healthcare and COVID are probably the really big ones right now because we are in the middle of a pandemic. And I want to talk about real fast before going to COVID. Let's start with healthcare because this is where I get confused. The town halls. We were watching Donald Trump first. And at this particular moment, he was talking about healthcare and uh, making sure that anyone with Pre-existing conditions, which I know is a word that's been thrown out a lot, anyone with pre-existing conditions would still be covered. And then we literally switched it over to Joe Biden's town hall. And that was brought up. And he said the current administration will not protect pre-existing conditions. And I mean, seriously, Brian and I just looked at each other. I'm like, I don't know what to do. I don't know how we decipher. I don't know who we believe. How do we figure this out? So let's start with healthcare. Uh, Jill, I think the reason why you were confused and rightfully so <laughs> during those town halls <laughs> is because they're kind of using political speak here, or I would say Joe Biden was using a little bit of political speak. So Donald Trump has told the American people on multiple occasions that he wants to protect pre-existing conditions. So if we take him at his word, then he's going to protect pre-existing conditions. However, the problem is he doesn't have a health care Uh, plan out there for us to read, for us to review. So we just have to take him at his word for now. Um, Joe Biden is then saying like, well, he doesn't have a healthcare plan. So if you want to protect pre-existing conditions, you better be on my side with the Affordable Care Act. Um, So kind of using a little bit of a loophole to say that. But then he does have a point, too, because President Trump doesn't have a plan set out. So things could change in between now and the time the plan is put out. Um, One more thing with Joe Biden is he was obviously Barack Obama's vice president and Obama created the Affordable Care Act or Obamacare. Recently, Joe Biden has been referring to his health care plan as Biden care. 
which would be Obamacare, but with a public option. So people who don't have the means to afford health care will be covered under his health care plan. Still confusing, but (laughs) uh, let's pivot to COVID. Oh, my gosh. I mean, the pointing of fingers and again, another one where I just I don't understand. I can't wrap my brain around it because I don't understand how each party. uh, Let me say this. I have heard multiple times that. Some people believe once this election is over, COVID's going to be gone. And I don't understand what that means. I don't. I don't get it. I think what people mean when they say that is that COVID was used as a political tool. Um, There are people out there who believe that COVID is not a big deal at all and that it was played up basically to hurt President Trump. Um, I personally do not believe that. I don't want to get the virus. I I think that we're all doing our best during this worldwide pandemic. Um, but yeah, there are people who believe that that once November 3rd hits, if Joe Biden were to win, we wouldn't have all of these COVID stories and we wouldn't have all of these COVID restrictions because it hasn't been that big of a deal all along. And like I said, I do uh, disagree with that. <laughs> Um, I disagree too, but, and I, and I can guarantee that if you are listening and you are strongly for the left or strongly for the right, there are certain things that Rachel and I will be saying that you don't agree with. This is me just opening up and trying to educate myself and asking Rachel, and she is doing the same thing. She is telling me what she has learned and what she knows from her experience with the different political segments that they talk about. So with COVID, what are both of them saying that they're going to do differently or how they're going to help with the economy and the individuals? So President Trump um, is very hopeful that the economy is going to continue to get better. He said things like COVID's going to go away. And he's right. I mean, everything does eventually peter out. He said recently that we will have a vaccine in a matter of weeks, although that's not a guarantee. But he did guarantee us that we would have a vaccine for COVID-19 by the end of the year. Oh, And I get why he is so hopeful. He did create a very strong economy, and I get why he wants to get back to that place. But some people on the left... I would say all people on the left actually (laughs) get frustrated with him because they think that he has too much of an emphasis on the economy. But, you know, plenty of people out there would say, well, economy is what makes the world go round. We need a strong economy for the country to be successful. So they get where he's coming from. People hit President Trump as far as like, you should have done more at the beginning of the pandemic. And he says, I did everything that I could have done. I shut down immigration from China And what more do you want me to do? And I I do empathize with him on that point. There was nothing he could, we were going to get COVID-19 in the United States. This is the kind of thing where I can't sit here and be like, I would have done such a better job than him. That's crazy. (laughs) Like I said earlier, we're all, we're all just doing the best that we possibly can. But many people believe, many people on the left, including Joe Biden, believe that he led a poor example personally, as far as saying mean things about Anthony Fauci and the CDC. 
um, not wearing a mask, kind of making fun of people who wear masks to a certain extent. And then, I mean, the president did eventually get COVID. Right, right. Um, and, and people are somewhat unhappy with his response to that too. Just saying like, Hey, I'm better. Don't be afraid of it. It's fine. And that's all depends on how you look at it. Some people look at it as like, yeah, you shouldn't let it run your life. Of course, don't be afraid. And then other people who have lost people to in their lives to COVID say, how could you say that? Mm -hmm. This is a devastating thing. Why would you ever want someone to not take this seriously? So with a lot of the things that we're going to be talking about, um, it really depends on how you look at it. It depends on how you look at life and it depends on how you see uh, each of these two men. This is one of those, I feel this particular topic is a no-win situation. And the reason why I feel that way because it's a no-win situation when you even talk with certain family members and friends in your life. It's just so dividing. I mean, I know all of it is, but I have to say, I, with the debate that happened, the the most recent debate, um, when COVID was brought up, and it was almost as if Joe Biden was blaming President Trump for the deaths. And right. I disagree with that. I, I I don't agree that President Trump is responsible for those deaths. Those individuals who died where I, I mean, I don't even know if I should even, if I'm going to articulate this correctly, because I do not want to offend anyone. I can't even imagine what their family members are going through. And if I have lost someone due to COVID, I would be so upset with some of the things that have been said too. But we can't, I don't believe directly say that one person caused those deaths. And that's where I felt like it was kind of a low blow. Not that President Trump's not low blowing Joe a lot, but (laughs) you know what I mean? I I totally understand, Jill. And I I think you feel that way because you're being practical about the situation. Um, I do think the tendency to blame Trump for the entire thing is born out of pretty much pure emotion. And I get people's emotions, but you're right. One person does not control the entire country. It's a very important job. We need a strong leader. We need someone to lead by example, but the president is not the king. We have the judicial branch. We have the legislative branch. These branches all with the executive branch, they all have checks and balances. There's a lot of people who make the country work and we can't blame it all on one person. Well, I guess that goes to one of my biggest questions for you. And and I know that there's still other policies that I want to talk about, but that is something that I I want to know too. What power does the president have? I mean, <laughs> I was looking at some tweets after the election or after the debate, and I, some of the things. First of all, you can't do anything right in this world, but um, people. I think it was when the moderator said when they were talking about the um, another a bill or another stimulus package that Donald Trump said, uh, we can't get it done because of Nancy Pelosi. And then I believe she responded with, but you're the president. And some of the tweets that I saw were, don't you know how this works? Don't you know that he can't make all the decisions? Other people have to. And that's where I get confused. How much 
decision uh, do the president does the president have? I think in that case, Nancy Pelosi was probably referring to she's having problems with Republicans. Why don't you, as the Republican president, go have a word uh, with Mitch McConnell and the rest? Um, but that it's a great question. The president has the power to veto things. He has the power to issue executive orders. But I mean, the Supreme Court and Congress can always check him when it comes to those situations. And the situation you just, just brought up with Nancy Pelosi, I definitely get um, frustrated with President Trump for the way he speaks sometimes and the way like he uses hyperbole. I firmly believe in my heart of hearts that Nancy Pelosi is no better. Right. And she, both of them, like they get in like little grade school fights on this <laughs> national stage. It's so <laughs> annoying. And it's like, okay, so you guys all think we're stupid. Right. I'm supposed to believe that you're the hero and the other one is the villain and everything you do is for our best interests. And the other one's like, I don't know, like the Joker, like setting fires and like <laughs> going to send Gotham into complete insanity. Like, come on, guys. They both could just I think they both do that to take the heat off of themselves in the moment. And it's it's really at the end of the day, it's just an excuse because the whole thing is, if you guys were working together, you wouldn't even be having this argument. That I feel the exact same. I mean, they just like to poke each other and get riled up and it makes everybody else get riled up. And that's part of my problem, too, is I wish our president would tone down on some things and some of the things that he says. It's never going to change, unfortunately. Uh, but I I fear that we are in this situation of we are not working together. So now we're voting based on personalities instead mm -hmm. of actions. Absolutely. I, I think we've really gotten into a very dangerous place with that because when you start voting for this is the person I personally like or this is the party that I believe is good and the other party is bad, well, there are very, very, very few things in life that are 100% good or 100% bad. And I, I always think it's dangerous to just blindly follow something because that's what, you know, it's like, well, I'm a Republican, so I'm always going to agree with what Republicans are doing, whether or not I actually believe that in my heart. Mm. So I, I think the best thing to do really is listen to both sides, try to be as objective as you possibly can, do your own research. I mean, every morning I listen to, you know, a lot of people consider NPR to be very left-leaning news. I listen to the NPR Up First podcast every single day to get like the big stories of the day. And then I also listen to the Fox News Rundown podcast because I want to see what both quote unquote sides and both sides of the media have to say about the issues of the day. And then I can kind of try to find um, the objective truth in between those two things. And we could sit here and talk for the remainder of our time together about the differences and what people you know, just because you're a Republican, you always say everything Republican is great. Or if you're a Democrat, same, same. I get it. I think that part of the reason, like, again, I wanted you on is so that we could hear some of the different sides 
the different ways things are presented instead of just one way or the other. So I'm going to ask you about uh, foreign policy. Where do each of the parties stand on that? Um, So during the last debate, they got into this a little bit. President Trump is proud of his relationship with Kim Jong-un from North Korea. This is a person who is kind of objectively uh, a bad person. (laughs) We were just talking about how things aren't 100% good or 100% bad. He's one of those things that's, uh, in my opinion, 100% bad. But um, President Trump has been able to forge a relationship with him, uh, which some people see as very, very good because he kind of has Kim Jong-un's ear to a certain extent. And maybe it makes people feel a little bit more cozy about the like weapons that North Korea has, thinking like, well, they, they really like our president and he seems to listen to Donald Trump. Joe Biden um, does not want to speak to Kim Jong-un unless certain things are off the table. Um, so that's one thing on foreign policy. I would say in general, Democrats and this is me speaking in generals, Democrats are a little bit less concerned with foreign affairs and maybe getting involved with foreign affairs, whereas Republicans are very uh, concerned with our place on the national stage, having a strong military, being able to help or intervene when it's necessary of us. Uh, And again, it's just kind of the way you look at the world. It's whether or not you think that that's our responsibility or whether or not you would want that attention and those funds to go back into our government. Okay. And speaking of funds, the wonderful topic of taxes. I mean, all these are great topics, right? (laughs) (laughs) Right. Uh, I have in the last couple of days read a couple of different articles about taxes and who's going to do what and who's not going to do what. And again, I'm confused. I don't know what (laughs) to believe. Well, it's confusing because I I think the election would go a lot more smoothly if they weren't allowed to talk about each other and and put words in each other's mouths. But I know that I'm wishing for something that absolutely could not exist there. So we'll start with Joe Biden. Joe Biden says that he only wants to raise taxes on people who make $400,000 or more per year. Okay. So- That's not the average American, right? Right. Donald Trump has given tax cuts to all. I I have a friend who absolutely hates the president, like with a passion. But after his tax cut back in like, I want to say 2017, she texted me and was like, oh, I got a little extra money in my paycheck. Thank you, Trump. (laughs) So, So he's really big on not raising taxes and not wanting to put that extra stress on people. Um, Joe Biden is, has been labeled a a socialist by Donald Trump. And like, he's going to come in and turn this into a communist country. I don't think that that's accurate, but we could see a little higher taxes under Joe Biden's administration. And the reason why, uh, he would want to divert those funds into like things like healthcare, things like social programs. Um, and then a lot of people believe that the uber wealthy, like billionaires aren't paying their fair share of taxes. Um, So that's a a priority for many, many Democrats is to get more taxes out of the insanely rich to hopefully help out the less fortunate among us. All right. We're not going to be able to cover all of the important issues that people want to know about. So I 
I am encouraging people to do their research. Rachel, you're going to give some resources in just a minute. But one of the big things that I think we have to talk about is the Supreme Court and the justice. And what does that I mean, it's been such an argument Um, again, there's some lies being told on either side that I, I, I'm just having a really hard time with. It, it is confusing. Um, I have really done my best to be as objective as possible on this topic. So I'm, I'm glad that we're talking about it. Okay. So unfortunately, Ruth Bader Ginsburg passed away. She was an absolute icon and an American treasure. And everyone was very sad to see that happen. And I'm going to interrupt you. I know that there are going to be some amazing books put out on her if they're not already. And I cannot wait to line up and buy one because I can't wait because I feel like there are a lot of people, even I was talking to my dad about her, that just respect the heck out of her and uh, um, just what she's done. Absolutely. And even if you disagree with every one of her policies, it's hard to deny what she did to advance women in society. I didn't know this until she passed away, but women weren't allowed to like uh, get a mortgage by themselves what? whenever she got into law. I know. Isn't that crazy? There's so many barriers that she was able to help break down that I just I just never realized. Oh. So I'm also excited to learn a lot more about her. Sadly, she passed away. Um, people have been concerned about that because she was older and she was in and out of the hospital a lot. So a Supreme Court justice nomination is for life. Once you're on the court, you do not have to leave. Um, so she was trying to stick it out for as long as she possibly could. That's also a huge reason why people get so touchy about the subject of a new Supreme Court justice, because if someone's put in there who is very, very liberal or very, very conservative, you're stuck with them for the rest of their lives or until they willingly step down from the court. So this happened very close to the election and President Trump immediately began looking for a replacement for her. And that upset a lot of Democrats because in 2016, uh, there was an open seat on the Supreme Court that Barack Obama tried to fill with Justice Merrick Garland, who was a pretty moderate guy, probably would have been a really good choice for the Supreme Court, as far as I know. Uh, There are probably people out there listening like, you don't know anything. (laughs) That's that's my opinion. (laughs) However, it was an election year, And the Republicans were the majority of the Senate, and the Senate confirms the Supreme Court justice. So they basically refused to let Merrick Garland through, and they cited the reason, hey, it's an election year, it's not up to you, it's up for the next president to decide. And ultimately, President Donald Trump was able to fill that seat. Now, you might say, hey, it's another election year, wouldn't it be up for the next president of the United States to make this choice? based on what Republicans said in 2016. Well, the Republicans have come out and said, aha, but in 2016, you had a Democrat president and a Republican Senate. In 2020, you have a Republican president and a Republican Senate. So it should be smooth as silk, easy to get through. We're going to carry on and do it. Um, They're not technically breaking any laws. They maybe look a little hypocritical to some people versus 2016, although they have uh, provided this explanation. But you could see why many, many Democrats would be uh, 
frustrated after what they went through in 2016. So that's been a huge source of the strife between the two parties. I'm not trying to say one is right and one is wrong because it's it's not as if the Republicans are just saying like, um, well, we didn't want to do it back then and now we want to do it. They did cite a reason, but for some people, that reason is not good enough. So the person that Donald Trump nominated to the Supreme Court is a woman by the name of Amy Coney Barrett, uh, and she has come across in her hearings and such as a highly intelligent person, uh, is obviously very um, learned when it comes to the law, and I have no concerns over like you know her ability to do the job. However, Democrats are concerned that she would try to repeal Obamacare um, because that is coming up on the docket soon after the election. So that's a major concern. They're also concerned that she would want to overturn Roe v. Wade, which is abortion rights. Mm -hmm. Um, And this is based on the fact that Amy Coney Barrett is very religious and has, I believe, written things in the past about overturning Roe v. Wade. However, she has said since being nominated that while she doesn't consider it to be um, like completely off limits, she does not see a reason to try to overturn that law. So uh, basically, it it seems like Democrats are looking for um, any angle that they should be concerned about or could be concerned about and are bringing it up now and, and, you know, trying to be very resistant to the nomination. However, um, just from my observations, Amy Coney Barrett has never tipped her hand in any way to show like, hey, I'm going to try to come in and take away everybody's rights and and repeal uh, the current health care plan. Oh, it's really confusing. It's it, it is <laughs> it's super confusing. And I think that that's part of, again, you have to know all of the, the I mean, and we don't even have time to talk about all of the Senate and the Congress and all of that stuff. It's just like, what? Well, Jill, you know, a big reason why it's so confusing is how partisan everything is. Like I just brought up the Supreme Court. So many of the concerned are, uh, concerns are based on like, well, it could be this, it could be this. And while I get that people have those concerns and we should anticipate future problems, the media especially kind of lives in those what ifs. And sometimes I think we create problems that aren't actually there. And we're trying to solve problems that we don't need to solve yet. And that leads to everyone being incredibly stressed out and incredibly distrustful of the opposite party uh, from what they're in. They kind of see them as like the boogeyman. Um, and I don't think that's good. I think it's better to just, okay, so you say this, this is your opinion, but what is the fact? What is the fact of the matter? And and it's hard to look for that, but w- once you start trying, it becomes easier and easier to kind of cut through and be like, okay, so this is what's actually happening as opposed to what they say is happening. Right. And, and I think that's some of the stuff is the whole hate and I've talked about this before on the podcast that we, instead of just judging and hating somebody for their opinion, ask them why they got there. Why did you mm-hmm. get there? And then you could start to learn a little bit more of their background and their lifestyle. And and I will bring this up as something that I am getting very frustrated about is the religion attack. I have been open and talking about growing my faith 
I am a Christian. I am growing my faith. And I don't like that we are attacking Christians and attacking religions. I think that that is just a really dangerous thing. And I understand the separation of church and state and all of that, but I don't think that it is fair to um, just classify someone because they hold their religion close to their heart. And, and that's that's been bothering me a lot lately. I, I totally understand that. And I, I think a lot of people feel that way. And unfortunately, it seems like we've reached this point where it's okay to just attack people for things like that and be like, oh, you're a Christian, so you X, Y, Z. And oh, you're an atheist, so clearly you have no soul. You know what I mean? Right. It, you're so right when you say it's so much better to ask questions and try to understand where the other person is coming from, but we don't do that. We spend so much time just trying to prove our own point and knowing that we're right. You might not be right. Right. The other person might not be right. You could compromise and arrive at something that works better for everybody else, but uh, I we know. just don't do that very much. Well, and even what you were saying about the I'll go to the Christian when somebody will say, you can't be a Christian if you believe this. And it's like, uh, oh, okay. Well, that's definitely not Christian values regardless. So that's, I think we're, we're blurring all those lines and it's, it's not good. Um, let's wrap things up with maybe some resources or the voting, the importance of it, going to vote early, uh, where all of the stuff that I know nothing about. <laughs> <laughs> so I would encourage people at this point, it's, I believe, too late to do mail-in voting. Oh, yeah. But if you are concerned with, um, like, maybe, unfortunately, getting COVID or being sick on election day, having symptoms, and of course, you're not supposed to go out. Um, if you want to avoid a situation like that, you can do something called in-person absentee voting. And you are allowed to uh, do that until November 2nd at 5 p.m. So if you don't think you'll be able to get to the polls on election day or you're worried about sickness, something like that, you want to get your vote in early, in-person absentee voting until November 2nd at 5 p.m. Go to vote.org to locate your polling place and figure out what you can do there because it is different for everyone. And then, of course, the general election is on November 3rd. Polls are open from 6 a.m. to 7 p.m. Uh, I will be voting on Election Day, and I can't wait. I was going to ask, do you think <laughs> – my husband and I were talking about this. I said, you keep seeing all these lines and everything for the absentee voting. Are the lines going to be that that crazy on Election Day because so many people are going beforehand? He's like, that's a great question. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's really impossible to tell. I think we're going to this is just my guess. I think we're going to break records as far as how many people vote in this election. I think people are realizing how serious it is and how important it is to make your vote voice heard on election day on a level that we never have before. I 100% agree. And so I have two final questions if you're able to answer them. The first question is, if individuals still feel like me, they still need to know a little bit more, they want a little bit more of a breakdown of the two parties and what it means to vote a certain way, do you have a resource that you can send them to 
or you suggest? Jill, a great place to go for that would be electionguide.org. Um, you can click on your area and see like local stuff. Um, but then it gives you a breakdown of Democrats and Republicans and where they stand there. Electionguide.org. Okay. And I'll also put that in the show notes so people can go to. All right. So my last question, let's just say people do feel educated. They've voted their whole lives. They're unlike me. And they're just like, hands in the air. What do I do? How do I make this decision? Any advice you give to them? I would say to, if you are a religious person, to pray about it and kind of give it up to God at this point, because we have taken in so much information. Um, (laughs) Let him move your heart. If you are not a religious person, I would just ask yourself, what is the most important thing to me? What's, what's the biggest issue or maybe what's the biggest two issues that I worry about? And then do your research on that and try to line up there, whether it's, you know, my biggest thing is um, the economy. You could look at that. Or my biggest thing is making sure that all marginalized groups in this country feel as though they're equal and are given a equal chance. Look at the candidate who is going to be the best person for that. Yeah, I would say just focus on the major issues that are most important for you and just get out and vote. And you can kind of hone those political opinions more the more you get involved. But I think every American, it is so incredible that we have this right to make our voice heard. And I think the only time you waste your vote is when you don't use it on Election Day. Uh, There's not much I can say after that. So, uh, Rachel... Thank you so much. Thank you, Jill. Thank you so much for having me. It was really fun. Before we get to the Supermom shout out, I want to talk to you about one of the sponsors of the podcast, Two Kids in a Career, and that would be Blonde in Real Estate. I love looking at their social media and I love going to their website, blondeinrealestate.com, especially because of the video tours that you get to look at. I mean, It shows you everything and you don't feel uh, duped, so to speak. You know how sometimes you see pictures of things and then you get there and you're like, what in the heck did they take pictures of? That's not the case with Blondin Real Estate. And you'll see when you visit BlondinRealEstate.com. All right. And here we go with this week's Supermom shout out. It actually, the nomination is coming from a recent podcast guest from episode 48, Kelly Suntrup Stumpy, a.k.a. The Car Mom. She is nominating her friend Chelsea of St. Charles. She's a local photographer and mom. She photographed my wedding and is just so amazing. She also does many sessions and donates 100% of the proceeds to the Backstoppers. But that's not what makes her a super mom. She currently has a five-year-old daughter, but suffered two devastating losses. She had a stillborn son at 34 weeks and another miscarriage at 16 weeks. She has continued to keep her boy's memories alive in the most beautiful way. And she is currently in the process of adopting and has shared so much raw emotion throughout the journey. Anyway, she's just amazing. Chelsea, I see you and I support you. If there's a super mom you would like to nominate, all you have to do is email me, hello at jilldevine.com. Send me her name, where she's from, and why you're nominating her. 
And I would like to thank you for listening to the podcast and all of your support. I would like to ask you for a favor. If you are listening through Apple Podcast, do you mind going and subscribing and rating and reviewing the podcast? Because when you do that, it gets in the hands of others. So also when you subscribe, and this is whether you're listening on Apple Podcast or any of the platforms that you choose, you won't miss an episode because you'll be notified. You can follow me on Instagram at Jill Devine and also check out all kinds of updates online, jilldevine.com. <laughs>